One Hope Church. To be true, and then he kind of shows how those things, you know, the premise is that he shows how those things, you know, are not so true. And so, and part of this message today, I was like, well, this might be entitled, you know, Chet Ruins Christmas. Um, but not really. So, don't worry. But I, I do think we have a tendency, again, we have a tendency, again, to see, to read the scriptures through a cultural lens and the traditions that have been handed to us. And because of that, we have the scenes in our head don't actually, you know, always line up with how they really took place, you know, nearly 2,000 years ago. A lot of times we're seeing it through. Um, a Middle Ages or Enlightened period European perspective, more so than we're seeing things from, you know, how they actually were in real, you know, history, time, and space. Okay, so, you know, we'll, we'll look at a couple of those things. I don't want to get too hung up on that, but just to give, you know, one ex- one example of that would be, um, you know, the painting of, of the Last Supper. You know, where they all conveniently posed on one side, you know, of the table. You know, the whole entire scene is like nothing of what it would have looked like to have been in the upper room on that night. I mean, it is like nothing how it would have looked like. So if that, but that can, you know, because we've seen that image, you all know the image of, of, of what I'm talking about. You, you know that painting. And so when you read the scriptures, you know, at the Last Supper and then their upper room, you can that picture can pop into your head. Oh, I see them there. No, you don't. Not not at all. Not in any way, shape, or form, um, except for maybe the number of people. That might be right, but that's about that's about it. Okay, and that they are people, you know. But other than that, it, it's just it, it, it messes with us more. It's it actually I think in many ways causes more harm, you know, than than good. Um, so, again, we don't want to get too hung up on that, but there are a couple things this morning that we'll, we'll mess with that a little bit. Um, but let's go ahead and, and pray, and then we'll be in Luke chapter 2 um, this morning. We do have a couple of forgotten heroes, so not so forgotten, but why they're remembered is different than why they should be remembered. Or at least part of the story is missing, so we'll say that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the privilege to come and to worship you. We do sing this morning that, that God, Father, you sent your only begotten Son to this earth to be born in, in a humble way, fashion, um, not in pomp and circumstance and great wealth, and to be born among with sinful people, um, to live among us, to be crucified by your creation for the purpose of paying for our sins. Jesus, we acknowledge this morning that you are the Savior and the King of the world. We thank you that you are good and that you are all of those things that we so desperately need you to be. We pray that we would come before you humbly this morning, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would teach us by your word and enlighten us by your Holy Spirit, help us to see clearly and to apply correctly. In your name, Jesus, we ask it. Amen.
So Luke chapter 2, verse 1, familiar, some familiar verses um, if, you've, if you've grown up but in, the, in, the, in the church, but perhaps not if you haven't. And it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be censor, registered. And this census took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, just a few things that we need to, to have, as we have this scene set, because really, this scene um, is part of the, of the framework for which we read the Gospels. Okay, so when it says that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, so we have the Roman Empire, which is dominating you know, this part of the world, and from the perspective of you know, the, the author... You know, it is it is the world. I mean, it might as well be. It's so grand and vast, um, and it's in its outreach. I mean, remember the Roman Empire goes all the way um, to Great, you know, Britain down into Africa, you know, across over, you know, toward India. I mean, it's it, in its height of its power. It is massive. It is massive, and and through that we have all these trade routes and. You know, you had trade routes before, but things were more difficult. And at this point in, in history, people and ideas and, and things are moving from culture to culture at an unprecedented rate. And that's in large part due to the power of the Roman Empire. <coughs> it's cool later on in the book of Acts, what we see, um, we see the disciples of Jesus taking full advantage of that to get the gospel to every place. Um, they're using that, the, this kind of like evil, wicked empire, what that has set up, um, in order to get the, the good news of Jesus everywhere they can, using the roads, using the boats, using you know, the, the, the free flow of people and ideas. And so there's a census and so when the Roman government says, this is what you have to do, this is what you have to do. You, you don't get like, well, we're pretty pregnant over here, and we'd rather not make that journey. The, the Roman government says, go, you, you go. If you don't do what the Roman government says, it's pretty simple. You end up you know, dead. You end up in prison or dead. You know, and, and that's just how it, how it was. They, they did rule with an iron fist. There is no, no doubt of that. And so they go to their, their, you know, where your family was from. And so Joseph went from Galilee. That's in the northern part um, of, of Israel. If you kept going a little bit further, you would run um, into Syria. When, when Claire and I were in, in Israel earlier uh, this year, um, you know, we're in the, in the hills of Galilee, and you could see Syria, and you, and you could see the, the nation of, of Jordan, and you could see all around, you know, the towns all around um, the Sea of Galilee, 
Capernaum, Tiberias. Uh, you could see these. And then you couldn't see, but much further south is Jerusalem. And then a little bit outside of Jerusalem is Bethlehem. It's not far. And so he, they, that's where he goes. And it's significant because Joseph is in the line of King David, and Bethlehem is connected to King David. So this is also important in terms of fulfilling you know, prophecy, the, the lines of, of, of you know, where people come from. He's, if Jesus is going to sit on the throne of, of Israel and fulfill the promise to be an everlasting king on the throne of David, you know, he has to be you know, familiarly connected you know, in the genealogy to David, okay, uh, to King David. So that's how that works. Because he was the house and of the lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Okay, now, again, a lot of times we have that scene. Okay, we've, we've got our nativity scenes, right? So you've got this, this little kind of like barn, you know, looking thing that happens to be completely open on one side, you know, so you, you can see, see in because, you know, we don't have to worry about animals running away or thieves or robbers or wild animals or anything. So it's nice and convenient. It's all open on one side. And you kind of have in this, you know, we have in, our, in our, our image, like, Mary and Joseph, you know, Joseph is walking, Mary's, you know, riding on the, on the donkey, and they arrive late on night, on the same night that Jesus is going, you know, to be born, and, you know, you see Joseph kind of scrambling around house to house, or place to place, like, is there a place to stay, and it's like, no room for you, no room for you, no room for you, and they end up in this stable, and that's the picture. I'm sorry to ruin everything, but what does it say here? It says that, you know, that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. So they were there for a while. They had gotten there for a while and had settled in before she gives birth. Sorry to ruin that part um, of your nativity scene. It gets worse for you if you are really in love with that picture. I'm sorry. But that's just the reality the reality of it. There's another part of it. Most of your translations um, will say because there's no room for them in the inn. Or it might say because there was just no room for them. Or something to that effect. Um, but there's a little bit of a problem, you know, with that. Um, one problem is that, you know, Joseph... Joseph's family, his, you know, is from Bethlehem. His, he's got, you know, relatives. You know, he, he likely has relatives in this place, and they arrived days before. I mean, unless there's some really ugly fam- family dynamics going on there, doesn't it seem a little bit odd that they would be in some stranger's barn, some, you know, and and not around any family members? I mean, if the whole family is going there to be registered. I mean, wouldn't they have to be on the outs or something like that? Just seems kind of kind of weird. But then you also realize the word that is usually in our translations translated "in." Um, there's no room for them in the inn. In verse seven is the same word that Jesus uses in Luke twenty to eleven about where the disciples were to find a meeting place for his last supper. 
before he went to the cross, the upper room. It's different than the word Luke, same book, Luke uses in chapter 10, verse 34, to describe the lodging that the Good Samaritan bought for the man who had been beaten and left for dead on the road. That place was a place where you paid to stay, right? The place the Good Samaritan, had, he paid. He said, here's the money, and if there's any more added to his bill, when I return, I'll pay that as well. Okay? That, that's the sort of place that that was. The, the inn here, why it's translated in, I'm not quite sure, other than the fact that, again, people don't like to ruin you know, people's Christmas scenes for folks. So we don't, you know, we don't want to mess, we don't want to rock the boat. So let's just, let's just leave it in. You know, and, and I think it's a shame sometimes that Bible translators will acquiesce you know, and don't want, don't want the hate mail, and therefore are going to leave people with not a fully accurate idea or picture of what is going on here. So in this time, you know, if the pe- people who had more re- resources, families that had more resources, when they built their home, there would often be an upper room, as was, as the disciples used that upper room with the Last Supper with Jesus, right? That upper room is like a multi-purpose room. We, we, we get that. We have, we have multi-purpose rooms. You have a room that you use for one thing, and then when, holiday, you know, when, when maybe holidays come or you know, guests arrive from out of town, that, that room gets repurposed for, for another thing. It's flexible, right? It's flexible. You can use it for different things. And so this upper room could be used for a meeting or for a large meal or as a guest room. Again, in the society, as people are coming together, um, you know, there's, it, it's a, a respect for one's, there's two factors here, a respect for one's elders that it says there's no room, probably because there were older family members already occupying that, that space. Now, if, again, your scene is, it's this little stable outside, that seems a little cruel, right? You're like, well, I understand they're older, but really the pregnant lady doesn't get a, get a room. I mean, not to mention the stairs that you've got to climb up when you're very pregnant, not super great. But, that being said, wouldn't you still like, give them the upper room and the older folks will like, figure something out? So... The, the, the scene with the manger, these houses also often had um, a, a room, a space attached to the house, like would share the same wall, where at night it's cold and for safety the animals would stay in there. And in the morning, you go in and clean that, that out and the animals would be out for the, for the day into the fields or wh- whatever it is, um, and again that space could be used, you know, for other things. So it's probably that sort of a scenario. Those, they're in the room that's attached to the house that's used to keep the animals in at night. I mean, there's obviously a manger that's there, a feeding tr- you know trough where they put hay and things for the animals to to eat. It still is there. Um, but again, 
you know, our picture in our heads because of all the little, because of the of what we've seen on television and our cartoons and in children's Bibles and nativity scenes and everything else. Is we just have to understand. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not saying don't set it up or whatever. I'm just saying you know you got to have in your mind that this really isn't how it looked like. This is a a westernized uh, modern version interpretation of the events uh, and, and what it, the scene would have looked like in your head, but it's not super accurate. Okay. If you understand that, you know, good. It's kind of like, uh, I was laughing because uh, Tara had, and, and Derek had set up their, their scene and they've got the, um, the wise men in another room, like traveling, you know, on the way. And, and, you know, that makes those who are, um, you know, want the accuracy as much as is possible, you know, um, a little bit, you know, happy because we know the, the, the wise men um, came later and were not there um, with the shepherds. Um, but that's, again, you know, one of those, one of those things. And so we, we can put those pictures into our head and we have to deal with that. And the reason I speak about that this morning is because we have to be mindful of that throughout the Gospels. I mean, throughout the whole Old Testament and New Testament, as, as we read, that we're not you know, sanitizing everything or, or seeing everything through a lens you know, of our culture and our traditions. And, and that impacting how we interpret the Scripture. Because, then, because remember, it's a minor thing. It may seem like a minor thing here, but, but how we interpret the Scripture, interpret... It's supposed to be the step that we take before we apply. Okay, so here's oftentimes what people do. Just as a, a little, this is a little side teaching moment, just for a second. Oftentimes we want to apply before we interpret. Let me let me go back. Study, interpret, apply. Okay, that's the proper order. Study, interpret, then apply. Here's what happens. When we skip steps one and two, Philippians 4.13 on the back of a t-shirt, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever sport you want to put, guys up there to bat, and he's like, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can hit a home run. And the pitcher is sitting there going, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can strike this guy out. One of them is going to think that Jesus either wasn't on their side or was only partially on their side, and the other one's going to have this false you know, projection that, man, Jesus gave me a great victory today. <coughs> because that verse was applied before it was studied and before it was interpreted. It was taken out of its context. Its context is, I can be rich or poor. I can, you know, whether circumstances are great or terrible, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Meaning, the proper application for the game is, whether I win or lose, I can deal with that with dignity, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the proper application, but you don't get there without the proper study and the proper interpretation. So why I'm saying that this is important is because when you read the scriptures, if you don't take the time to study first, and then interpret, and then apply. 
you end up with heresies. Now, if you're not influential, your heresies generally only affect you and your family. But if you end up being really influential, then your heresies hurt a lot of other people. Hence, health, wealth, prosperity, gospel that's so popular today. Hey, just a little more faith. And if things are going bad in your life, it's because you don't have enough faith. How anybody reads the New Testament and comes to that conclusion, I have no idea. And that's just a basic read, more or less. I mean, reading the whole thing, not just cherry-picking a few verses. Our faith cannot be that we have cherry-picked a few verses and go, that's my faith. No, we have to study the Scriptures. Be like the people in Berea that we read about in the New Testament who were diligent to study when they heard the message of the apostles to study and to see if these things were true. Study, interpret, apply. If you get it out of order, it's definitely going to hurt you and it's probably going to hurt other people as well. It's work. It's work. And so, what, what I'm saying is, this is, this is, this is the, the, the crux of the matter. And, and why I'm bringing this up in Luke chapter 2, which on a on seemis, seemingly, you know, really minor things. Admittedly, things that are, that are minor on the scale of importance in terms of, of, you know, did Jesus rise from the dead versus was it an upper room that wasn't, there wasn't room for or was it, you know, a place, you know, of paid lodging where there wasn't room for. Okay, it's, it's small in comparison, right? But, if our understanding of what happened around the events of the birth of Jesus, if that picture is formed more by our traditions and what, you know, again, TV and children's Bibles and cartoons and everything else have told us it looks like, then it is from our own study of the Word of God. That's the problem. Do we get that? That's the problem that I'm talking about. My problem isn't so much what the tradition and, and modern America has said this scene looks like. The problem that I have is in the mind of believers, we are influenced by that picture more than we are by our own personal reading and studying of the events surrounding the birth of Jesus that we have done on our own. Does that make sense? Does that make sense of why that's important? And that's important because, again, it's, it's, it's throughout, you know, we've done forgotten heroes and they're usually the things that, you know, media doesn't pay any attention to and they don't make movies about and don't write stories about. And we've tried to get a clear view of what those scenes and everything look like. But the, the, it's important the more a story is known. For example, Moses. You know, is, is your, um, if you're seen in your head of what you know, slavery looked like for the Hebrews in, in Egypt and the deliverance through Moses, does that look the way it does in your mind because of the prince of Egypt? 
the cartoon or because of the scripture that you've read and that you've studied? Which one forms the picture in your mind of what that scene, what those scenes look like? Well, I'm going to just, I would just argue that for the vast majority of people who claim to be quote-unquote Christian, using a very broad definition of that, in the United States of America, the Prince of Egypt would be more influential than the book of Exodus. That's a problem. That's a problem. And so, we have to have let the scripture in, inform us. That's why that is so, so important. Okay, so now that we've set what is more likely a more accurate scene of what happened in Luke chapter 2, 1 through 7, let's get to the shepherds in verse 8. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Again, this messes with our story. A little bit, because it might be a little bit cold for shepherds to be out in the field by night, but it's probably not like dead of, like dead dead of winter, like <laughs> you know, it's 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 like fifteen degrees Fahrenheit or something like that. That's probably not what's going on here. So again, it messes with us in the time of year and all of that stuff. Um, there were same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the watch of their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Now this scene is usually done pretty well, that people, you know, this one's more accurate in our traditions and everything else than a lot of the rest of the story is. But if you just imagine, I mean, they're just doing their job. Like, wherever your place of work is, you know, and you're doing your thing, and you're not in, in expecting any like great encounter of God, and then all of a sudden, there's an, an angel of the Lord and the glory of the Lord shining around. Like you are going to quake in your boots, no matter where you are when this happens. You are going to quake in your boots because it is a, a powerful scene. It says they were greatly afraid. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings, or good news, of great joy which shall be to all people. There is, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That's a a powerful and and a beautiful scene, but I want us to break down a little bit, because again, we have the scene, but a lot of times these words that the angel spoke are pulled back a little bit, are not um, fully understood or explained. So, there's born to you this day in, this, in the city of David a Savior. So this is a fulfillment of prophecy. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. That in this, from the city of David, from the little town of Bethlehem, from the, from the town that was known 
as, as not much coming from, from it is going to come first King David and then also the one who would sit on his throne forever and ever. A savior. So now there's two aspects of this. A savior who is Christ the Lord. So he's a savior. And, and why is he a savior? Because we need to be saved from our, our sins. Who is Christ the King. Christ King. He is the Lord. I mean, he's, he's the Lord. He's the judge. He is everything. Man, this is just, it's just powerful to understand who Jesus Christ is. You know, you consider this this morning, you know, you think about, you know, in our nation, you know, we, we try to have like a balance of power, right? So we have, we're supposedly supposed to have balance of power. So we have an executive branch, and then we have a, a our Congress that, that makes our, supposed to, supposed to make our laws, and then we have a judicial branch as opposed to interpret those. You know, in the kingdom of God, we don't have a balance of power. We don't need checks and balances. Jesus Christ is the executive branch. He's the king. He sits on the throne of David. He makes the laws in that he's part of the law giving, you know, as God. He's part of the law giving to Moses. He also fulfilled all of the law of Moses. And he gets to say what his commandments are as we read the New Testament. This is what his expectations are, how he expects us to live. And then he's also the judicial branch. Because there's going to be, and, and there's two primary judgments that we read about in the scripture. The great white throne judgment, which is for those who have not accepted Jesus and what he accomplished at the cross. And they will be judged according to their works, but they're already in the category of being judged for the lack of faith is the key issue. And then there is the judgment seat of Christ where followers of Jesus, where we are judged according to what we have done, particularly post-conversion. After we have repented of our sins and believed in Jesus and gone towards him, we are judged accordingly. And the issue there is not punishment, but a reward or, or lack of reward. Is the key is you really key what's in, in view there? Now that doesn't give us. Please don't take that as a pass. Well, I mean it's not really about punishment, so I can go. I mean, certainly not. If we have, I mean, as Romans talks about, should we sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. No. I mean, if you if you're in the grace of God, you would, you know, I, I just don't see how a person who loves God is in the grace of God is intentionally going to say, you know what, I'm going to abuse that and just go on a little sinning rampage here. Like, that doesn't make any sense. When we understand the cost, when we understand Jesus Christ went to the cross and that his body was broken, his blood was shed, he was tortured and murdered in a mock trial for us, for our sin. And we can't treat that lightly. Can't treat that lightly. 
Man, just got to understand this. Born in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We didn't need a self-help guru. We needed a Savior. We didn't need an, an entertainer. We needed someone with true power. We didn't need a politician. It would just tell us what we want to hear. We need a king who is just and who will rule over all. Jesus is everything that we have needed individually and as a human race. We understand that? Jesus Christ. We have a psalm we sing, all I need is Christ. Now, the words are true. We often, myself, I often do not live as if those words are true. Those words are still true. To make them less true, the fact that I don't live up to them a lot. But he is who we need. And so he is who the God, God the Father, our good Heavenly Father, sent us. Isn't that awesome? God the Father knew exactly what we needed. He needed it. He knew what we needed, he, he needed who we needed. And therefore, he gave us exactly what we needed. He didn't give us someone who was inadequate for the task, or could only partially fulfill what we need. No, he sent fullness. The gift that is Jesus Christ cannot be undermined. We need to make sure that we get it. That we under that that we shouldn't undermine it. We I mean we we do. We do in this season. We we make this season about uh you know it's like all these other things and a little bit of Jesus. But do we understand the gift and the goodness of the gift that God gave us? And are we making sure that our kids fully get that? I mean, our kids should be happy to get a you know, present and all the fun little traditions and things that we do around this season. I mean, I don't have a problem with that. I'm not saying we have a problem with that. But when we ask our kids, what, what's really going on here? What's our main purpose and focus? Their answer should be Jesus. It's Jesus. God gave us Jesus. When, when, but that's not just true for them. Like, when we ask that, that question to each other, like, what are we remembering? What are we thinking about during this time of year? The first thing on our lips should be God's gift. God gave us Jesus. And then the other things, our family traditions, the fun things that, that we do. But the first thing, God gave us Jesus. Now, in verse, I mean, again, this, man, what, 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 man, get this, folks. That heavenly host, imagine being in that field, and that heavenly host, that multitude, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. I mean, can you just imagine, get like a little taste in your mind, what that scene would have been like. It is unfathomable, really. I mean, they got to experience it. 
But wow. You know, it wasn't a show. It wasn't just manufactured. It was the real thing. (laughs) Hey, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you know what you get to look forward to in reality? Being part of things like this. Because this is a taste of what we see in the book of Revelation where around the throne of God, the multitude of hosts saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Like, do you understand? We're going to get to be part of scenes like that as followers of Jesus that are going to make what happened here in that field outside of Bethlehem look small. I mean, this is tremendous, but it's a taste. It's like an appetizer. Folks, if you know Jesus, you're going to get the full course. You're going to get the main dish. The whole thing. Like, think about that. The reality is that we wouldn't even be able to handle it in our current state where we still carry around our human flesh. But when we see Christ and we are like he is, when we are transformed, when our sinful body is done away with, and we can endure more of the holy, man, full course, the whole thing. We're going to get that. I just, I, I want us to understand it. You know, our, our main city in our state, right down the road in Atlanta. I mean, it was, if you watch that, you know, whether you're in a soccer, what the world calls football, or not, um, you know, we, it's kind of funny, you know, that um, this is the, the, the last, or the most recent um, football championship that a team from Georgia has won in a long time. And if you would ask people 10 years ago, if you said, hey, you know what? The first, the first championship you're going to win in the state of Georgia in a long time it is going to be soccer. That's the first football. That's the first football you're going to win. Now, if you think back to the Falcons having like a four-touchdown lead on the Patriots going into halftime, and at halftime you said, you know what? It's going to be soccer. It's going to be the city's first championship. You know, you might have gotten stoned out of the room. But, like, I'm about to be stoned right now. But I'm just, but, but man, there were 73,000 people in that stadium last night. And... The, it, talk about loud the drum. Every, I mean, all these drums that people have brought in. They have sitting there all these drums, these huge flags. I don't know how half the people. There's so many flags waving. I don't even know how you even, like saw half the game with these massive flags going back and forth. And it was. I mean, if you had been in there, deafening loud, like so loud. If you want to talk to the person next to you, it's one of those deals where you have to cup your hands over their ears, over their ear hole, and shout into their ear hole for them to hear, I'll be right back, I gotta go this through! Like, that's how, that's like how you would have to communicate that. That's how loud it was. Right in the old ear hole. But listen, 
that is, I mean, what that scene was in Atlanta last night, that's got nothing on our eternity with Jesus. When it comes to celebrations, when it comes to celebrating the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that's got nothing. But I, I, I've got to, I mean, I can't help it. It's just so obvious. It has, to, it has to be said. If we have more joy over getting a promotion, if we have more joy over getting a new toy or a new house, if we have more joy out of winning a game or the team that we root for winning a game, then we do that Jesus Christ humbled himself. Christ humbled himself and put on human flesh and came to this earth to live and to be the greatest gift we could ever receive and to die to give us the gift of eternal life. And that one day we get to celebrate with him if our emotions are more towards the temporal, shallow things of this world than they are for the eternal, holy things of God. then folks, that's an indictment on my heart and on your heart. And, and, and now what I'm going to say with this is we're not looking to go to just like, oh, this emotional, you know, we just, you know, we just, ra- you know, we're going we're gonna to play these, we're going to play this music and we're going to play certain chords and certain rhythms and a certain deal and for a certain time because if we do so, we can pull at your heartstrings and manipulate an experience for you with God. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about you know an, an emotion that's that's separated from reason. I'm talking about the full connectedness of your body, heart, and mind and spirit with the Spirit of God. That's what I'm talking about. All of who you are connected to who God is. That's what I'm talking about there. I'm not talking about games. And you have these, you know, and and both sides are wrong when it comes to this. The sides that are like, you know, we just talk about the facts, folks. It's just truth. It's just truth and truth and truth and truth. And keep your emotions out of it. It's just truth. They're wrong to do that. And the folks that are like, you just got to feel it, feel it, feel it, feel it. Don't worry about what reality and what truth and what the scripture says. Just feel it, feel it, feel it, feel it. And if you do this, that, and the other, you'll feel it. They're wrong to do that. They're wrong to do that. It is the whole of who you are. The goal is the whole of who you are connected to the whole of who God is. That's the goal. Now, we might not fully get there this side of eternity. But I believe you could get closer and closer and closer to the fullness of that. Listen to this. So it was in verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste 
and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Hey, you don't have to mess with the manger part in your nativity scene. Like, that part's, like, the feeding trough part. Like, that's right. In the swaddling clothes. Like, that's, that's spot on. That's all spot on, folks. Like, yeah, see, I didn't totally ruin Christmas for you this morning. But it's what the scripture says, and that's what's important. Now, notice this, verse 17. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told by them, which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all.